an unearthly hello to my fellow horror, horror enthusiasts and welcome to the Writers of Horror podcast. The Writers of Horror is a community for horror creatives, a place to connect with other horror enthusiasts and to elevate your horror writing. Find out everything that we do over at writersofhorror.org. I'm Daniel Wilcox, I'll be your host for today, and today I am incredibly thrilled to have the wonderful Jonathan Jans in my clutches. Jonathan Jans is the author of over a dozen novels and numerous short stories. His work has been championed by authors like Josh Malaman, Caroline Kepnes, Joe R. Lansdale, Stephen Graham Jones, Brian Keane, and Jack Ketchum, to name a few. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daniel. It's great to be back. Yes, I am very, very excited. And so for people that uh, may not know, I had you on my... Uh, so I've, I've had a, a transformation of podcasts <laughs> along the journey. But back in uh, 2020, so I've got down here 20th of March 2020, uh, you were on the Great Writer Share podcast, which is now the Activated Authors podcast, episode 27. So we had a oh, whole big conversation. And so for people that want to check that out, maybe as a prelude to this, go ahead. But I'm definitely going to treat this as if we're carrying on from that three years ago. Um, and one of the first questions I want to dive into, just because I've been curious about this ever since I've, ever, ever since I've seen it, what is Jonathan January, and how do I get a month named after myself? <laughs> I feel like you stole January, and that would have been perfect for me. <laughs> that is a yeah. I don't know how that. I think that I think the the person most responsible is Mother Horror mm -hmm. Sadie Hartman. She I think coined Jonathan January, and <laughs> uh, it it kind of stuck. I, I still hear it from time to time, mostly in January. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm all for keeping that going, you know. Let's 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 keep that tradition alive. I I love that idea. Yeah. I, I forget I forget how that came about. Like I think that there was maybe her book club. I don't know if it was Nightworms or another book club. They were reading um a few of my books, three or four of my books at the time, like in a big group read. And I think they dubbed it <laughs> January. And I think that was the origin. I think. It's perfect. I love it. I keep seeing it all over Twitter, all over Instagram every January. And I'm like, that is perfect. But God damn it. Now I don't know what month I'm going to use. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got 11 more to choose from. You'll find you'll find the right one. I'll find some, maybe Darch or something. Um, there we go. There we so go. for people who are unfamiliar with you and your journey and who you are, tell the listeners a little bit about where you got to or how you got to where you are today and what kind of stuff you do. Huh. Big well, that's a great question. I think that I... If you look at like the trajectory of my career, I think the the common themes are um, gradual growth mm -hmm. and slow improvement. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've never done anything meteorically. I feel like that's it's the same way in every aspect of my life. Like I I would have loved to have been an amazing because I teach high school and junior high. I'd love to have been a wonderful teacher my first year. But I felt like I really gradually just got better at it and then finally got pretty decent at it. And I think the same thing probably applies to my writing. Uh, I have gone through every sort of rejection possible. And I think the, the, the idea of just keeping going, of just not quitting, of being determined and controlling what I can control. None of that sounds interesting or sexy or anything <laughs> like that. But like, if I were to really be objective about me and my writing and career, that's probably what I would say. Mm, it's very interesting. I was on a podcast earlier, and that was pretty much the exact same answer I gave. Because that that that's it. It's the only thing you can control is slowly improving yourself each time. And yeah. on that, so a question I always kind of struggle with um, that comes around that sort of mindset uh, area is obviously you need to relentlessly keep driving and keep improving and you know as as artists that's something that we I think instinctively do and I know that speaking for myself I certainly can't stop 
how do you know because speaking on behalf of some people i've spoken to how do you know when it's worth carrying on or when it feels delusional if you know what i mean and obviously i'm not speaking from a point of like there are people deluding themselves but like it's a very tough line to tread yeah that's a great question it often feels delusional <laughs> at least once or twice a day i feel delusional uh, I think that you said it a little while ago, like in, in your question, you talked about not really being able to give up. Mm. I heard a great quote. One interview I use in my creative writing classes is with David Harbour, who's Chief Hopper in Stranger Things, mm -hmm. really, really good actor. And somebody asked him what he would be if he weren't an actor. And it's a cool question. You hear people ask that of anybody from time to time. And he said that if he weren't, he said he's tried other artistic pursuits. He's tried to draw, he's tried to do music, he's tried to write, and he just sucks at all of them. He just can't do it. And he said that, but acting is just something he's good at. He said, he said that if he didn't act on the level that he's acting, if he weren't in movies and television, he would be putting on plays in his backyard that nobody would see. And I, that really struck me because I'm like, yeah. That's that's how I would be. That's what I would do. I, 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 you know, the parts of this, I love all parts of the writing. I mean, that's a lie. There are parts, <laughs> there are parts of it that I don't love. I don't love writing a synopsis. Mm -hmm. I don't love re I don't love rejection. Um, nobody nobody does. People say they do. I love it when people like say those things that sound good but really aren't true. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love I love one star reviews. I love it when people <laughs> rip my work apart. That's awesome. Please give give me all the criticism. That's not true. Yeah, no, you yeah. don't. Nobody likes to be told that that's horrible. <laughs> we know it's part of it. It's totally it's fine. It's totally cool. But it's not like you open a review craving evisceration um but I, I really think that the parts of it i like the most are just the the coming up with an idea and the writing it and editing it i would do that with independent of any publishing i would do that i would just have fun doing that because it is fun and it's not only fun but it's like biologically necessary and emotionally necessary for me when i don't write for a period of time and there are times that i don't because of my teaching it's, it gets so busy and my family gets so busy I can tell like my emotional well-being is is just not as it's not as healthy as it, as it is when I'm writing. Yes. I just have that need to do it. I have that need to express. I have that inner it, it is. It's like a biological, emotional, psychological uh, you know, need. Um and so I think that's the thing. I think that no matter the delusion that I feel, no matter how much of an imposter or failure I sometimes feel like cuz I do, um, it's it's that need that will always, always drive me to keep going. Yeah. So navigating that around family life, I know that's something that obviously, you know, a lot of people struggle with and some people uh, potentially find those conversations more difficult with family members and trying to, you know, put in that time for writing. How do you find navigating that and getting that time when you need it? Because obviously you've got, is it two kids you've got and a wife? Uh, three kids and a three wife. Three kids and a wife. So yeah, yeah, so even more people to try and work that around. How do you how do you manage that and, and get that sort of time? And I will caveat and probably say guilt-free, quote, probably not guilt-free. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the first thing is, and I can say this in honesty, but I put them first. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, I, 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 I try to, it's so, I think one of the, one of the easiest things to do is to give lip service to the things that we know to be true. But the hardest thing to do is to actually live that, to yes. actually put that into execution. 
And everybody, if you asked writers or anybody else for that matter, what's more important, your family or your career? Everybody's going to say family. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to say that. My family, friends, of course, that's more important. But then what do they do? Like, where is their time spent? Where is their mental you know, energy going? And it's very easy to let that get askew. It's very easy to let those things get out of whack. So for me, I do put my family first and my teaching second because my students deserve the best that I can give them, whatever that is. And then my writing comes third. And and that doesn't mean that writing is less important than teaching to me. <laughs> I mean, there... Yeah, I mean, it's like with 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 teaching, you're directly affecting other people. Yes. So you, I have to put that first. Um, and I alluded to this a little while ago, but there there are periods when I don't write. Like mm-hmm. this past school year was the worst period of writing since I became a writer, and it's because my family was so busy, and I'm not going to shortchange that. And my teaching was so busy; I had a heavier load of grading than I've ever had. And uh, and my writing just suffered. I, I was able to edit some stuff. I did a little screenwriting, but like I didn't write any new, in in anything new in, in a novel uh, all school year, which mm-hmm. never happens. That never happens. Usually, I can write at least half a novel during the school year. Usually, it's a whole novel. This school year, nothing. Just maybe a little bit and a couple short stories. So I think that's how I manage it. Is if I'm going to let something slide, it's going to be the writing. And I give myself, I've finally gotten to the point where I give myself permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm going to have guilt, that's the guilt I want, right? It's the guilt toward me as an artist, not guilt toward neglecting my kids or my wife or my students. So I guess it's like that you choose the most digestible evil and then you go with that. Yeah. And what I love about that is that's a well pretty much in terms of the hierarchy of priorities that hasn't changed in three years and i love like that consistency yeah. and i'm very unsurprised from from what i know of you um yeah. so to be productive in this kind of hierarchy of obviously the things that are important to you and, and how it all works you you very much compartmentalize your writing time you mentioned last time you know weekends tend to be a good spot for you obviously you know taking this year away potentially not uh weekends and then you've got sort of the whole summer to write and then bits of editing in the evening i don't know how I would go about compartmentalizing because I find that I get very into a project and I will like just get hungry and fall into it. Um, How do you how do you manage that and work that into your production schedule? It's hard. It's so hard. Yeah, it's yeah. And it's like it's it's my system, but it's a very difficult system to maintain. It really is. I I think when I ultimately um, retire from teaching and we're not close to that yet, but ultimately when I do, I think that it'll be a lot I mean, easier is the wrong word, but I think it'll be a lot more logical. It'll be a lot less piecemealed and haphazard and unpredictable. Um, but but yeah, that's the thing. Daniel, it's hard. It's so hard sometimes because you you want to write, right? Just because just because you compartmentalize, just because you prioritize doesn't mean that, that the way that that feels and looks is is easy to do or is pain free um you know i feel just all year i felt so antsy i felt like i'm just shortchanging my career i'm shortchanging myself i'm shortchanging my readers i'm shortchanging everything in that world so it's super hard to do um so i guess you know uh, the, I, the way that i do it is to just like plow through trudge through you know muscle my way through it as well as i can and just again experience the the difficulties and the pain that are more 
um, logical to experience and the ones that I can live with. But just because I can live with them doesn't mean it's easy to live with them. It really, really sucks. It just sucks when you have to like stay away from projects. It sucks when you when you've created this. Like I started to write and I did start to write a novel. I guess I lied a little bit over winter break. I started to write a new novel. I got about 15,000 words in and then had to stop. And I just had to stay out of that world. And it was such an alluring world. I could hear it calling to me. I finally gotten back to it here at the end of May, beginning of June. But man, it was it's hard because those things are I mean, the 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 faces of my kids and wife are more compelling, yes. but it's not like it's not like these fictitious faces and lives aren't compel- compelling, right? Mm-hmm. You want to you want to venture toward them as well. You want to explore them. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 difficult. It's just difficult. Yeah, I really appreciate your honesty. And I think that's something that I, I definitely that's one of the reasons I enjoy talking to you You're very sort of um just open about the experience and i think one of the things that drives me crazy is the amount of people that are like if you don't write every day then you're not a writer and how toxic that kind of advice can be because you know you're a, a perfect case study of someone who has an incredibly irregular schedule but you still manage to bring books out and not only just bring books out but quality books that people love i mean what would you speak to that kind of advice and, and if there was someone in that situation who has been hurt by that advice what would you give them here are two words that I'm going to get. These words have been on my mind a lot. And this is a little bit crude and crass. Bring it. I, it's, it there's no F word in there, but there, oh. there are two words. <laughs> um, those words would suffice too. But, you know, when I, the older I get, the more experienced I get, when I hear people speak in absolutes, mm-hmm. being a Star Wars fan, I would say only a Sith speaks in absolutes. But um, when, when I hear, yeah, just the other day, uh, there. in fact, this week I saw on Facebook and Twitter both people speaking, and that advice you're talking about, that's some of the most, to me, some of the most damaging advice there is, because that's going to make everybody who's not a full-time writer feel like garbage, all right? And, you know, and, and the, the people who give that advice, they'll say, well, you can find time, right? You can, you can write for a half hour over lunch, or, and I'm thinking, what does your lunch look like? Like at my school? No, that's how do how do you figure that right? Over my lunch, I'm grading papers. Or you can get up at 4 30 a.m. and write, okay, so we're just gonna forsake sleep. Okay, it's that easy. We're just not gonna sleep. Otherwise, we're not a writer, okay? And in on, on Twitter and Facebook, I saw these threads about oh, this drives me nuts when people use this word, right? Or people will say this about you, you know how there are different beats like shrugging or uh, eyes widening or whatever, and people will demonize a specific beat and say you're a hack if you ever use that beat. Yep. And, and the same thing goes quadruply for the advice that you're talking about. If you don't write every day, you're not a writer. Here are the two words that keep echoing in my head: piss off. Mm. What are you talking? Who are you? I don't care how successful you are. How? Who are you to tell every writer what a writer is or isn't? What a writer can or can't do? No, no. There are guidelines for writing. There are best practices, just like there are in any pursuit in life. But there aren't absolutes. Like the only, and I, I, I you've heard me say this before. The only things I believe are: don't bore the reader. And if it works, it's right. And I think those are good. Those are about the only two rules to which I adhere. And of course, I know the other rules. Of course, I know show, don't tell. Of course, I know this and that. But when you start to go down the road of absolutes, particularly with like writing schedules and then guilting people because they dare to spend time with their kids 
or they actually want to see their friends or their spouses, or they care about their main careers because, you know, they want to eat and they want their families to eat. When you start like acting like people are somehow shirking their duties by doing those things, I think you're really being kind of an insensitive jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm obviously not saying that to you, but I just, I, I feel <laughs> people, people are just lo- kind of lacking empathy, right? When they're saying those things, their lives might look like that. Their lives might be very conducive to spending four hours a day writing every day of the calendar year. Great, lovely for them. For most of us in this world, it's not that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the lessons that always stuck with me from, I mean, this was sort of early English classes, but. Uh, I was always told never to start a sentence with and, but, or because. And the amount of books I have read that break that rule, and I break that rule myself now, but every time I do it, there's always that conscious little, like, I'm doing it, it's purposeful, like, I'm allowed to. And and it's difficult. I, I kind of compare it to, you know, when you're when you're learning to play music, you have to understand what the notes are and how the piano is constructed, say you're learning piano, how the piano is constructed so that you can then copy other people, get used to some of the rules. But once you know the rules, you can then break them to make your own music. I think it's the same with writing, exactly what you alluded to there. A billion percent. That's Mm. not mathematical, but yes, a billion percent. That is so (laughs) right. That is so right. Yeah, of course, it's great to study the craft, whatever craft Mm. that is. Yes, learn what usually works and what usually doesn't. Learn that something is not going to work 999 times out of 1,000, because there are things that almost never work. But in the right hand, like if you if you were to tell it, like writers, OK, you can't use most punctuation in your story. What most writers are going to create is going to be pretty bad. But if you look at Cormac McCarthy, I was going to say, yep. you know, if you look at The Road, I'd say that book works pretty well without without most traditional punctuation or at least quotation marks and stuff that is a that's a piece of art that's beautiful it's one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful books ever written and, and so you know if mccarthy had listened to people and 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 you know oh i've got to adhere to this because i don't want to break this random you know guy on facebook right <laughs> i mean just think of what we would have been deprived of and how that work would have been diminished by yeah. following the rules so, yeah, I, I just and I, I the more I, that's one of those things I know in the abstract, but but kind of like you, I have to continually remind myself of like I start to start to read that, you know, whatever rule it is on Twitter. I'm like, oh, oh. And then mm-hmm. I just have spent. No, what, what yep. am I doing? Right. Why am I listening to that? <laughs> you know, go on. If yep. you want to do your own story, fine. I'm going to play over here. Yeah. Well, some of the best books, I think, you know voice comes from breaking those those traditional structures i mean i had a a story very very early on uh, in my career that someone who was non-native english speaking volunteered to read through i didn't realize what they meant was they also wanted to go through and proofread it and he came back slathered in like red bits because they were going by by the book english and you know they were absolutely right grammatically on so many different pieces but as i was reading through it i was like if i do this it's just going to remove the character voice you know their slights any hints of you know individualism in that person um and so I kind of very politely was just like, thank you so, so much. I'll take some of these because some of these like you have caught, but like, I can't, I can't take them all. Right. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do want to dive back into craft and I will very, very shortly, but I have a, so one of the questions I kind of want to throw at you now, um, as I say, it's been three years since we've last spoken. Um, you gave us a lot of sort of info in the last interview about, you know, your mindset, how you got into writing all that kind of thing. What's been going on in the last three years, Jonathan? <laughs> uh i have been 
I've been, well, you know, I mean, aside from the family and career and stuff, I've been working very steadily, working on a lot of things. I I I don't know if I had started screenwriting back when we talked last. If but you've I literally had, just begun touching on it. That's it. And and so I've been developing that, um, bumbling my way, stumbling my way through that, just like with anything when you learn, right? It's very mm -hmm. difficult. But I found that really, really fun. And I have been continuing to write uh, novels. I've been writing some short stories and uh, continuing to work and then trying to trying to be less like a hamster on a wheel, right? I think it's really easy to like do, they say that if you do what you've always done, you get what you've always gotten. Mm. And so it's very easy to just continue to work with the same people all the time. You know, they like your work, you know what to expect and all that stuff. But I've been trying to like look around a little more and work with my agent and my manager a little more and try to work with some different people. And sometimes that has led me to places and sometimes those, those have been dead ends. But I think that's been a very eye-opening and positive process. And it's it's ongoing. Like I'm in the middle of a lot of those situations right now. Exciting. I feel like writing or the writing life is pretty much just that anyway. It's just all these different open tabs and every now and then you'll just pull one a bit closer until it's done. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, writing is open tabs. That's exactly. <laughs> if you look at my, if you look at my internet browser, it's just open tabs. That's just a perfect metaphor for my life. Um, I love it. Speaking as someone who's a bit new to this kind of space, and it's something I'm looking at getting more into. What's the difference between a manager and an agent for an author? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good question. So, so I've got like a literary agent, right? And then I've got most people have like a I think I shouldn't say most people, but people who have a representative from the film TV world. I think they often call that an agent as well. Um, I call mine a manager, um, mainly because my friend Josh Mallerman calls the same guy, our shared manager, a manager. And um, so Josh refers to him as that. And so I do. And I think that like an agent is is more specifically i mean in a i don't want to like pigeonhole anybody or be mm -hmm. reductive because i think agents can be kind of all kinds of different it's like a producer in a movie right yeah. a producer can do so many different things and i think an agent can too and there are different types of agents with different working styles um i think traditionally when you think of a film agent um at least okay so i'm going have you seen the movie tootsie i haven't one of my favorite movies, uh, Sidney Pollack, who directed the movie, plays the agent in that movie of Dustin Hoffman's character. And he says, uh, he says, my job is to field offers. And I think traditionally that's the view of an agent. An agent mm -hmm. is the one who you know, submits a work uh, in, in the film world or TV world to a specific person and then to field those offers if any offers happen, right, to just handle the business side. My manager, Ryan Lewis, I, I call him a manager and probably Josh calls him a manager because he's a little more holistic than that. He's a lot more holistic than that. He, you know, he he's the one who taught me how to write, write a screenplay. We work on every word of a screenplay together. It's my work. He's very like emphatic about that. Anytime I try to give him credit, he's like, no, 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 no. This is your work. We're just talking here. I'm just giving you ideas and notes. Um, but he's very involved in the process of writing it. And then we'll have all sorts of discussions 
not just about the film or TV side, but about the literary side as well. He's very involved there. And, you know, so I think without more holistic approach where he doesn't just handle offers and doesn't just submit my work, you know, I think that that's maybe where the manager term comes in. And that's why Josh calls him a manager. And I actually think it is probably a lot more accurate than just <laughs> agent. Even though I'm sure there are agents who are like that too, yeah. Uh, I just think it like really gets away from the traditional view of an agent. Yeah, and also Ryan seems to be a bit of a, a ghost, at least to me, in the sense of the people I speak to. So yourself, Josh, uh, Michael, David Wilson, all talk very, very emphatically about this, this, this magical Ryan Lewis. And uh, I would love to have a chance to talk to him at some point. So I might, uh, I might start trying to track him down. <laughs> no, he is, he is kind of like a ghost. He barely exists online. He's not on Facebook, to my knowledge. I don't know if he's on Instagram and he's barely on Twitter. Like he'll go months and months without. It's probably, he's probably mentally healthier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What a life <laughs> that will be. Right. What a life. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think he, I think he's more in the real world than in the cyber world. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, he is, you don't, he's a very low profile guy. He's certainly, he's the opposite of attention seeking. Not that, not that we're all attention seeking by having a life online, but he's certainly like not online much. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I want to jump into one of your books. because I'm curious about this as well, because um, obviously you've written a lot of sort of standalone horror books. Uh, I mean, I'll personally lord books like Wolfland and um, Savage Species. I love both of those. Um, I have recently brought The Raven and I've noticed that it's a book one or two and obviously the second book Blood County came out at the end of last year I believe uh, Blood yeah. Country sorry um, okay. what's the so in your head what's the switch from writing standalones to writing a series is there kind of just give us a little bit of a, a thinking behind that because I'm very intrigued to, to know yeah this is going to be an uninteresting answer but I think it's the <laughs> right answer uh, for me at least is that you know the story it's what here's one of the reasons why my why my writing was so you know difficult this year i teach both eighth grade creative writing and then i teach advanced creative writing for sophomores junior seniors and the majority of my course load this year was those classes and i always tell them the story is the boss which means that if the story i tell them a 1500 word minimum on their stories because for some kids writing that much is a lot uh over a period of like four and a half weeks and they write four stories over the semester, my high schoolers do. And the thing is, though, is that if the story is the boss, that means it might want to be longer, right? Mm -hmm. The characters might want to keep going and the resolution might not happen until page 20 or 30 or 70. And so I get stories that are super long and these kids just catch fire and they write like wild. And and I feel like if they write it, I should grade it and I and should give them good feedback. And so I, I really try to live by that credo. And uh, I feel the same way about my own writing. So there are stories like Wolfland is one you've read, by the way, and, and, you, you, you're in, in, in Savage Species as well. With both of those, so far at least, I could see how there could be sequels to both of those. But for both of those, I felt like, okay, that's the way it should end. All right. Uh, in Wolfland, I, I'm not going to give away, obviously, which characters they are, but two characters kind of walk into the woods together. Mm -hmm. And I really like that ending. I'm like, that's a really that's where it should end. That's perfect. I love the idea of these two characters. And um, and I've had a lot of people read that book and want a sequel. And I could see it happening someday. But for now, I just felt like it ended the way it was supposed to. 
And I feel that way with certain books, uh, The Nightmare Girl. I'll be I'll be really surprised if I ever write a sequel to that because I just feel like that ended where it was supposed to. Um, with The Raven, it should go on. It needs to go on. And uh, it's going to continue at least to a third book. And hopefully, like in my head, I imagine like six or seven books. Um, just because I, I see these longer arcs developing. I see these new characters and new worlds and new villains on the horizon. I just see those things like down the road so for me the story is always the boss and so I end it where it should end no matter what it is and that's I think that's what makes it hard for me sometimes when I write for an anthology because I'll get an invitation and then then I'll accept it but then I'll look and it'll say five thousand five thousand words maximum but the story wants to be nine and I'm like oh, <laughs> what do I do so often in those cases I'm like trimming 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 reducing reducing and it ends up like 6800 words and then i just throw myself at their mercy i'm like i can't get this further but it's so bare bones already can i please keep and i always tell them you don't have to pay me like whatever the rate was you don't have to pay me above the the word ceiling mm. right you don't have to pay me 10 cents a word for 6800 words you know i'm totally cool doing those 1800 words pro bono um but yeah please let these words like stay in the story so yeah, anyway, that was a long-winded answer, but that's my answer. No, I like it because uh, it's definitely something that I've kind of been looking a lot into the last few years because, as you say, most horror books, people die at the end or, you know, it's quite a conclusive ending that makes it difficult to to carry on for a sequel. So I've been doing a lot of digging into how people are managing kind of keeping that story going with those, those darker elements. And um, I'm not super far into The Raven at the minute, but from what I've read so far, it's got a very fantasy feel. Uh, is yeah. that the reason it's able to continue? Because it's kind of got that mixture of fantasy built into it. I think that might, I've never thought of it in those terms, but I think that might have a lot to do with it. Uh, yeah, the, the the Raven, as you're seeing, it's it's really kind of a mashup of horror, of fantasy, of action, of adventure. It's got romance. It's got all kinds of stuff in it. And I feel like the, the, the grandeur of the world, like it's a pretty intimate focused story, but there are larger things happening in that world that need to be explored, right? And that are eventually going to affect these characters. So, yeah, I, th I think, and when you talk about fantasy, I'm sure that there are fantasy stories that are very small and focused and intimate, but but by and large, when I think of the fantasy books that I've read, they tend to be a little, yeah, grander in scope, right? So I think that actually might have a lot to do with why I feel the need to explore the world in such detail and, you know, and to elongate that, that arc. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really, huh. I think you've just got yeah, you've just said something I didn't know. Really good. Okay, I'm I'm hoping I haven't ruined the the thought flow now by kind of drawing oh, attention to it. <laughs> not at all. I think it's great. I think it's I think it's fantastic. It's just kind of like I I, I think that no matter how self aware we try to be, we fall short of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that when other people read our work, they invariably and inevitably find things that we do not and see yes. things that we do not. And I think that's really helpful right because mm -hmm. like you're, you're coming from a place of of good faith right this is just something you're noticing so that actually improves my self-knowledge and ultimately probably will improve the story in some way happy to help uh let's go into some specifics with horror because uh obviously this is a writers of horror podcast we've got a lot of writers in the community and so i want to ask you what makes a good horror book mm, wow you made me put down my coffee <laughs> Wow, what makes a good horror book? Uh, there are so many things that are important, but for me, it's 
characters. I think the characters are everything in any story. So characters first. Um, I think it's the second thing. And this, again, can go for any story, but especially in horror, it's truth. I think yes. that, and, and I think that it, horror, it, it just needs to be, when you use the adjective unflinching, I think that that conjures to mind like blood and guts and torture and sadism and an unflinching look at this or that. I don't mean it in that, in those terms, I mean unflinching and, and looking at the, the situation as it is, looking at the characters as they are, the themes as they are, and just being honest and going there. And that sometimes means that you go to some really dark places, because if you're going to really capture, you know, the human experience, if you're going to capture what we do to each other, um, then you're going to go to some dark places. So I think that your willingness to be honest and to tell the truth, I think that that more than anything else just naturally creates horror. Maybe that's cynical. I don't know. But no, it, I, no. You've just given me an epiphany, so thank you for that. Because <laughs> the last book that I wrote, uh, that that word unflinching isn't isn't something I've kind of applied to it. But like the last book I wrote, it was uh, no audience in mind. It was just catharsis. It was just I'm going to get these words on the page because it's it's what I feel I need to tell. And I'm going to tell it how I want to tell it, and that was it. Whereas a lot of the stuff that I've done before has had a bit of a commercial view to it. So obviously yeah. there've been books that I've enjoyed writing, but there's just been that kind of element of like not quite allowing myself to pour all of me onto the page. And yeah. there was something really, really um, just glorious, really, in the last book that I that I wrote um, that I'm trying to, like, recapture in the current book that I'm writing. And I'm like, there's just something missing. And I think I think that might be it. So thank you. I need to, to figure that one out. Um, how, in your mind, has horror changed over the last five years? Um, it has become more diverse, uh, mm -hmm. which is great, which is exactly what needed to happen. Uh, I think that that's, and that's, you know, as, as, as it expands, it, it just, I think that's the thing. I think there are people that are afraid of being left behind or being afraid of being squeezed out. And I think that's a disservice to the, the idea of horror. The, the whole idea of horror is that it is for everybody. And, um, and I think that it should reflect that. And I think that in every conceivable way, it's not where it needs to be yet, but it's become more diverse, which doesn't mean anybody gets forced out. It just means that more people get included um, and more people have voices and get to tell their stories. Um, or, or, or I should say their voices were there, but now their voices are given a chance to be heard more. And they're, they're given the opportunity to share their voices to a greater degree than before. And um, I, I think that's the biggest difference. And I think that that's only a good thing and only a healthy thing. And hopefully it keeps moving in that direction. And, uh, you know, and I think that 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 only is going to make it more interesting. Um, one of the coolest things, my, my middle child, uh, Jewel, I call her, but Jewel is a horror fan. And she basically exclusively wants to watch horror movies. And um, about two years ago, she decided without my really pushing her, I, I'd, I'd, I'd suggested a couple movies that was had subtitles a couple times and she'd veered away from it a little bit just because, and I think that there is that, that barrier to viewers in general, like watching a movie and reading subtitles is a different process than just watching a movie. 
I mean, just it, it's just different, right? Just like listening to an audiobook is, is slightly different than, than reading a book. It's all reading and it's all viewing, but it's just slightly different and it's all legitimate. But um, she got to the point where she was like, let's let's watch it's subtitled, but it sounds really good. Let's watch it. And she liked it. And and then ever since we've watched movies with subtitles um, without any kind of barrier. Right. It's like whether it has subtitles or not is immaterial in her choosing a movie, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and so it's really opened up our viewing to so many other types of movies, so many movies from different places in the world in different languages. And I and I feel like that's so it, it's, it's not that we don't watch movies from English speaking filmmakers. It's that we also watch movies right from Indonesia um, and or, or from from this country or from or, or that are in that language, whatever it is. And I just think that that's kind of that that healthy breadth is what is happening. And it, it's it's still kind of in the process of opening up and it's, it needs to continue to do that. Uh, but it's awesome. Uh, so it's just exciting. It's an exciting time to be writing and, and reading and viewing. I love everything about that. That was amazing. Uh, and so we've looked into the past. Uh, where do you see horror going in the next 10 years? Well, I, th I think that's going to continue. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that it's not a trend. It's 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 an improvement. Um, I think that's going to improve. Um, and then I think also in the next 10 years. Hmm, I think that because we've seen we've seen horror and you know whatever books in general become more in, like in different mediums and i think we're going to continue to see that i think we'll we'll see different combinations like you're going to see more like video game like more horror books adapted into video games and maybe more maybe and i i think and you also might see things come back a little bit like i've noticed lately there's this trend i forget the name of the publisher but they're starting to do like novelizations of existing movies right okay. yeah like a movie that came out in 1992 will have a new novelization now um which is kind of fun and yeah cool, right? and so i think that like that kind of retrofitting um is another thing that we're going to see more of happening um I, I just I so I, I a continuing expansion just in a lot of different directions. Audiobooks have obviously really boomed, and I think that that's only mm -hmm. going to continue. But then I think that you're going to see some interesting things, maybe. Because here's the thing: it's like, well, let me just tell you what I don't want to happen. Okay, mm -hmm. what I don't want to happen is 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 the big the, the two letters that we're all hearing about. <laughs> yep. Right. You know where I'm going. I do. I do. R A and I, and um, and I feel like. Personally, I've been very happy that that creatives all over the world seem to be like drawing a line in the sand mm -hmm. to say that, OK, it's one thing to use a technology to enhance something um, like, you know, thesaurus.com. That's a website. And, you know, that that can help a writer come up with a better word choice. Great. Right. If if AI like around the edges right whatever maybe maybe because i don't want to be completely dismissive but but i think that we most of us agree that that, that should not be centered mm -hmm. that should not take the place of any writer's livelihood that mm -hmm. should not take the place of any screenwriter that should not take the place of any cover artist right which is i think where it's really like it's it's on the horizon i, I shouldn't even say that because i think it's it's the, it's right there knocking at our door mm -hmm. 
with writers, which is part of the WGA strike. But I think with with artists, I think that's already really happened. Yes. Where a lot of cover artists have begun to lose work because of that. Um, and so, and honestly, I don't know, as I say that, I feel like I was even too diplomatic because if I'm being honest, I don't like it. Yeah. I hate it. And yeah. I, I, I want it to stay the hell away. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was just, uh, because I think defenders of it would say, well, you're using this website and that's technology or whatever. You're using a computer right now. And this zoom is technology. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if that's, if that's the role of AI somehow to be used in a very, very minor way. Okay. Maybe, but, but, you know, I, I don't want it to ever, ever do what I think you know, this hyper-capitalist mindset wants it to do, right? Because it's like, okay, if it can help us make more money, let's let's do it, right? Let's replace this cover artist. Let the very bots work, yeah. And I hate that so much. I hate that so much because cover artists are artists and you can't take the place of what they do. You can't replace that human experience. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what art is. And you can't replace that human screenwriter. You can't replace... I'll shut up. But anyway, that's 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 where yes. I don't want to see it go. I see it improving in a lot of ways, but that's where I feel like we're drawing a hard line. And thank goodness we are, because mm-hmm. I don't want that to kill art, which is what I think it could do if we yeah. let it. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting time when it comes to the AI stuff and, and how quickly it's blossomed and, and how it's taken everyone. I mean, I've already seen ads for people that are like, write a book with AI and it's like all the way from start to finish and it's it's gross. And one of the things that particularly within, I know, yes. it's horrible. Um, and literally, like, because my, my background's marketing, I'm like, you've made this advert specifically even more gross so that you know that I'm going to click it because you're... Um, but, like, one thing that I tell, you know, the people in the Writers of Horror, one people I tell people in my other writing communities is it's it really is now more important than ever to have that human connection and to really connect with readers in a way that is human. And I think, you know, whatever happens with the technology, because obviously a lot of that's out of our hands at this point, I do think a lot of it comes down to just morality as, as humans. Like, where do we draw the line as people? Where do Who do we reach out to? Who are our tribe that we're trying to bring in so that we can continue producing things that people value to the people that want it most? And I think it's it's a rocky time ahead yeah i agree i agree we're we're in that period now right we're in that we're in that that battle and and we have to i mean i just think we have to stay strong and we have to be outspoken and Mm -hmm. we have to be passionate about it because that's that is it's it's like an existential danger to because i've heard people like really trivialize it and like you know people will like and I get it. I, their their intentions are good. They're like, hey, here here's something written by AI. Look look AI. Look how terrible it is, and, you know. And it and this is not a threat. This is never going to be a problem, you know. So I, I like the part of them that shows how terrible it is, how terrible an AI written novel would be right now. But then to go that next step and say, so you see, it's not a problem. We don't need to worry about it. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah, we do kind of need to worry about it. Not not because of quality. It's not about quality. It's about what people in charge could do with it, Mm -hmm. like how they perceive it. If they perceive it as a viable replacement for writers, it's a major problem. doesn't matter if what it creates sucks. What matters is the people with the purse strings outsourcing art to it. All right. So it's not a matter of quality. All right. So, yeah, I don't care if that thing sucks. It right now, we're seeing people, you know, kicked kicked out of their jobs with it. It is a problem. A great horror right here on the podcast. Uh, and uh, AI is something I could absolutely talk for 
a while about and i think that'll be a, a separate conversation so i'm going to jump into a slightly different question um which puts you a bit on the spot but what do you think is missing from horror at the minute hmm hmm <laughs> Ooh, <wow. laughs> that's a really really interesting question what's missing i, th I think every <laughs> i feel like every writer if that would ask that question would have some narcissistic internal voice that would answer well actually this book i'm working on now <laughs> more books from me <laughs> right that's what's missing from horror um, but, uh, I, I don't know, man. I just think that, I, I think that that's, but dude, you've totally stumped. That's a great question. I, that's I, fine. I'll we can up, table it. I don't, I don't want to table it though. Cause it's such a good question. <laughs> um, I, I think that, okay. So here's the thing. I, I, I do have an answer. Um, I feel like there, because we all have, there, there are trends in horror. And, and, and a trend can be perfectly healthy and innocuous on its own, but then there can be unintended negative byproducts of that. Here's a trend. Shorter books. Okay. Yes. No novellas are kind of like experiencing a bit of a revolution um, that's becoming more popular, which in itself is awesome. Mm -hmm. Because I've long loved novellas. I've long loved some of my favorite stories are novella length. And I don't have anything mathematical to back this up, but I've always felt like there's something very specific that you can do with a novella that you can't do with a novel or a short story. Like it's its own beast. So I look at like a story like Petey by T.E.D. Klein, a story like White by Tim Lebin. Um, just there are certain novellas that are just killer and they couldn't be any other length. So while that is very good that the novella is becoming you know it's having a bit of it's having its day which is great i do feel like that's causing some readers and maybe some editors to forget how immersive and delicious a longer book can be mm -hmm. right um let's not forget how awesome it is to curl up with the 500 page Peter Straub novel. Let's not forget how just transformative it is to pick up an 800 page Stephen King book, right? Mm -hmm. Like Duma Key. Duma Key is not a novella. It can't <laughs> be a novella. It's gotta be this long love affair, right? That you can spend weeks reading. And I feel like as a natural byproduct of, of novellas having their day which in itself is great I, I have seen a lot of readers online say all right i'm looking for i'm looking for my next read it's got to be 75 pages or less or it's got to be right it's got to be 150 pages or less and, and and that's great if that's one or two threads but that's like 16 facebook posts i'm seeing in a, in a period of like three or four days mm. Like, okay, or like all these TikToks, all right? Here's your next read that's novella length or next. And here are 40 more TikToks like that. And again, it's like, okay, that's great. Let's, but let's not forget this over here, right? Let's also <laughs> have this. Yes. Um, and so that that's I that's what I I, I think is sort of missing. Um mm -hmm. is because honestly, there's some books. Um, Josh, my buddy, uh, you know, Mallerman, he wrote Ghoul and Ghoul in the Cape. And and that's a that's a big book. That's like eleven hundred pages. 
Yeah, I and think you showed us that on, on one of the podcasts where you just a stack of paper. It's huge. Yeah, it's a, it's a monster and it's awesome. And and I'm not, I mean, maybe it sold really well. I don't know, but I don't think that's gotten, I could be wrong. If it's gotten a mass market deal, I haven't heard about that or or seen it anywhere. Um, but that's one that needs a wider readership. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of those longer love affair books that people need to read. Like that is, that's an experience. Okay. Yeah. That's something that everybody needs to read. Um, so yeah, let's not forget about those bigger books. So I have, I have a theory on the novella uh, yeah. at the minute in the sense of, as you were saying, like on the novella, you're seeing all these TikTok, you're seeing all these different things. I mean, what is a TikTok? It's a very short video That's because it's so coming cool. from decreasing attention from people that are like looking through things very, very quickly. So I think yeah. for, particularly for, um, you know, influencers, I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all. You know, this is, this is the way that it goes sometimes, but um, I do think with uh, certain influencers as well, novella is a very uh, quick thing to get through, to get to the next one, to keep putting out content. I think there's a certain um, economy in that industry that lends itself to novellas. But like, I absolutely like agree. Some of the the books that stick with me, like Robert McCammon, uh, Boy's Life was beautiful quality. Um, and pretty much most of what Stephen King has done stick with you. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know what? You, I, th- I like what you said there because you used a positive word, you used economy. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think... I think, you know, TikTok in general, like, here's, the th- I'm not being a, and I'm not saying you said this, because I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon. Like, I feel like that is part of the lifeblood that is giving horror so much yes. energy right now. Like, it's a really positive influence on the genre. Like, if you go into any um, Barnes & Noble, uh, most independent bookstores, there's like a TikTok table, which is awesome, which is good. Yep. So it is a really positive influence and it is, it is doing some great things. Um, And so, yeah, it's not a negative at all. What you said is very true. Like in general, it's very digestible little bits Mm -hmm. of information. I was going to, I was making one the other day. I don't do it a lot. Um, (laughs) During the school year, I didn't at all because I was so busy, but I was going to make one about a movie. And I I was talking to Jewel, my daughter, and I'm like, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk for about three minutes about, um, this movie called final prayer the borderlands and she goes three minutes I'm like well yeah that's one of the lengths on tiktok she goes dad's nobody's gonna watch a three minute video yeah I'm like, <laughs> oh okay i guess make it a minute she goes yeah people might watch that <laughs> okay <laughs> so, I'm like, okay. so I, I think that that like speaking to what you're talking about like the the one minute is is you know maybe people will watch three minutes maybe not um and again i think it's i i it's it's just i i I love what it's doing. And and there are TikToks about longer books, you know, and I, I, I like a lot of my favorite book talkers um, do talk about like longer books, too. So it is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's just I, I, I want to make sure I guess here's I guess to whom I'm speaking is not the TikTokers or Facebook group people. It, it's more the readers, the, the, the readers. I just want to remind yes that that okay we we can love novellas but that's also love big books too and it's okay to have preferences (laughs) it's okay to like one over the other that's okay but but make sure we give them all a try right because we're gonna miss out on a lot just just as if i said you know i'm only gonna read books over 500 pages think about all the things that i'd be missing out on all Mm -hmm. the wonderful novellas that i'd never read 
So it would be equally egregious to dismiss shorter books in favor of larger books. But I, I, I do feel like if we're seesawing one way or the other, we're kind of seesawing toward the yes. shorter book now when we just need to just embrace all of them and love all of them. Yes. And I will say I've read quite a few novellas lately. Um, I'm big on Cassandra, of course. I'll shout around the podcast. Anyone that hasn't read her, like oh, everything she reads, I, I devour. Um, but yeah. I have just started reading Daniel Krause's Wellfall, and it is a sumptuous writing experience and that is is it longer it's it's about uh so it's a big book so it's nine by six it's about 300 odd pages so i think mass market yeah. probably about 350 yeah. 400 pages um, yeah. and it is oh you you lose yourself in it it's just fantastic so yeah i i feel you yeah, yeah yeah i read uh, uh living dead i think was was daniel kraus george romero uh yes. really loved it and that's a longer book so i li- i just love i love all the le- the lengths right they're mm-hmm. all good <laughs> All books. I just want to make sure we, well, all books let's just all <laughs> keep loving all books that's my yeah. that's only wish okay. <laughs> we are coming close to time so i have uh one more main question for you uh before we wrap it up um and again not to put you on the spot but for people who may be new into horror who are three authors that they should read and do you have specific books for them yeah um this is the, the only hard part about this is not mentioning my friends because I don't want to mention my friends because they're my friends, but I don't want to not mention my friends because they're my friends. Yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, three people that I, um, geez. Uh, so, well, the, the first one I would go to is, is, is the most obvious and that's Stephen King because mm-hmm. he's the one who got me into to writing and reading and everything. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention him. Um a couple other people I would read. Um, I'm just going to go with, uh, I, I've already talked about uh, Josh's stuff, which I absolutely love. So since I've already pimped his work, um, let me say um, uh, Tanana Reeve Du. I'm going to mm. talk, I'm going to say she's somebody that you should really be reading. Um, I love uh, Ghost Summer is a great place to start with her work. Um, anything by her you read is going to be amazing. So Tananarib Du, Ghost Summer, Stephen King, I would say to read, um, okay, read uh, N, the novella, because I want to go with different lengths. Like okay. Ghost, Ghost Summer is a collection of stories. N is a novella by Stephen King. So read both of those. And then um, the third rec I would give would be, um, I'm going to go Brian Keene. Mm. Um, he's one of those he's almost like like a jack ketchum kind of writer that like he's canonical like he's part of the canon but so much so that people almost forget about him now mm-hmm. i'm not saying the i'm sure he still sells plenty of books but you just don't he's not the fresh new sexy flavor of the month right yeah so I, i'm i'm just gonna say brian Keane, um and I, I would say to read a story called um ghoul uh which is a wonderful coming of age book so, you know, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful places to start with horror, but you wouldn't be badly served by starting with those three books. Amazing suggestions. Awesome. And to round off, I will say, where can people find out all about yourself and everything you've got going on? Yeah. Unlike Ryan, as we talked about, who's kind of a ghost, I am the opposite <laughs> of that. I'm very easy to find, I think. So I'm on uh, Twitter as Jonathan Jans, Instagram as Jonathan.Jans. I'm on Facebook as Jonathan Jans. I'm on TikTok, Jonathan Jans or Jonathan.Jans something. Um, I am on Goodreads sometimes. You can find my books anywhere. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, wherever. 
Um, and my newsletter, if you go to my website, Jonathan jonathanjans.com, um, yeah, jonathanjans.com, there is a sign up thing there. If you go to like menu and newsletter, you can sign up for my newsletter there. I don't do a lot of newsletters. I probably do like two a year, three a year. Um, so usually they're full of information. Um, I just don't have time to do more. I would love mm -hmm. to do a newsletter every week, like Brian Keene. I just don't, I'm not able to keep up that with that pace. So um, yeah, sign up for that. If you would like to get uh, information like that's new and fresh and first, uh, the newsletter is a great place. Bam. I'll put links for all of that in the show notes. Jonathan, it's been wonderful catching up with you again, and I'm excited to see where you go in the future. Hey, thank you, brother. I super appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You do a wonderful job. Love your, well, I love, I love this whole thing. It's just a blast.